welcome to That's the Word, wholesome tales for the whole family. I'm Father James Yamauchi. Today's story, Forbidden Fruit. Gus was enjoying yet another evening of amusement with his friends. As was their custom, they hung out long into the night, the cool kids out on the town streets. Normally, at this time of year, Gus would be off at his boarding school. However, this year his family could not afford to send him off, so he was at home. He wasn't worried. He always seemed to land on his feet. Even at this late hour, the boys were ready for more action. Then they remembered the tree nearby. It was the neighbor's fruit tree near Gus's family's vineyard. The tree was loaded with fruit. The boys were not particularly hungry at the moment, nor did the color of the fruit catch their eye, nor even the taste. The gleeful teenagers, who could read one another simply by their glances, silently agreed on a daring mission. At this late hour, they climbed the tree and began to steal tons of the unappealing fruit. They could not help but chuckle while remaining as silent as possible as they made their way through the tree. Any misstep could alert the neighbors to the immature thieves. Frequently, they would glance around to see if they had been detected. Gus felt the adrenaline pumping through his veins as they picked the final fruit. Would he and his friends actually pull this theft off without getting caught? Carefully, the young scoundrels climbed down the tree, huge smirks on their faces as they marched off victorious. The mission was accomplished. The thieves took a nibble of the fruit, but threw the rest of their unappetizing loot to some hogs. They had not stolen the fruit for its own sake, but simply because it was wrong. For Gus, it was the sheer excitement of doing something forbidden that spurred him on this night. The boys were never caught for the crime. As Gus grew into adulthood, he had many more less-than-beautiful episodes in his life. Yet, the rush and excitement of his worldly and vile escapades never drowned his conscience. Decades after his youthful years, Gus vividly remembered the follies of his past, including the theft of the fruit 
with his friends that one late night in his town. He could humbly say of the incident, It was foul, and I loved it. I loved to perish. I loved my own fault. Not that for which I was faulty, but my fault itself. Foul soul, falling from thy firmament to utter destruction, not seeking aught through the shame, but the shame itself. Gus would go on to continue his education and exercise his God-given talent as a public speaker with an illustrious career that he could never have envisioned for himself. As a youth, he was inspired by the great rhetoricians of his day and in history and fancied that he would take his place in the realm of politics. However, thanks to the intervention of two saintly Christians, Gus would use his polished skills to advance the gospel, provide clarity on the teachings of the church, and defend the purity of the faith against all forms of attack. A humble Gus, who in later life lamented to his God, Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Created things kept me from you, yet if they had not been in you, they would not have been at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. I have tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. The bishop and doctor of the church, who, in his youth, stole from a pear tree. St. Augustine of Hippo. And for this week, that's... The word. John Peter, as graduates of the University of Dallas, how come it took us so long to tell the story of the pear tree in St. Augustine? That's a great question. Everybody who goes to the University of Dallas has to take a philosophy class in which you read the Confessions of St. Augustine. And it's amazing. If you actually go to the book, book two, it has the passage there. It's a very short passage that details from St. Augustine's own pen what happened that fateful night in which he and his friends went out and stole the pears. And so it's, it's an important story to be able to tell because the Confessions is such a classic. I really would encourage people to read the Confessions. Now, John Peter, you can attest it's not just a normal biography. No, but it's pretty straightforward, too. It's not that difficult of a read. Even in Latin, it's not that difficult of a read. So go read it. Have you read it in Latin? I've read passages in Latin, which was really a nice break. So typically in school, 
when they're trying to teach you to read Latin, they decide the best way to do that is to give you the hardest Latin there is, namely things like Virgil, who are poets. So they are by definition trying to bend and break every rule of grammar there is in a language that you don't understand. Tell us how you really think about this. I will. <laughs> We're going through all this different poetry, slogging through it. Okay, the adjective that modifies this noun is actually three lines away from it. It's at the other end of the sentence. Things like that. And then we get this passage from Augustine about Ambrose reading. And it's such a breath of fresh air because he is just writing the language normally and obeying basic rules of grammar and following standard conventions. It makes reading so nice when people write like they're trying to be understood rather than <laughs> like they're trying to just show off how much of a intellectual they are with their amazing grammar skills using archaic or twisted stuff as far as they can. Okay, this was not in our show notes to talk about, but briefly, what class are you talking about? This was Intermediate Latin 2. Intermediate Latin 2. I think I took Intermediate Latin 2, maybe. I don't know. I Latin was your language for UD, right? No, Spanish was. I actually took on the Latin because I was going to Rome to the North American College. So I know I studied the elementary two. I thought, and then I, I, I don't know. I thought I went to intermediate two, but maybe I didn't. Because actually, I don't remember this at all. Actually, this was intermediate one. I think the classes for Latin vary based on the professor. I don't think there's a standardized curriculum. It's not like the core where everything is very standardized as far as what books are generally taught from. It's more, I think, to the discretion of the professor as long as certain areas of the language are being covered. I know I had two courses in Latin. Maybe they were both elementary. I, I definitely did not do the depth of Latin that you did. But I read the Confessions in English. Good for you. <laughs> so anyway, I want to real briefly spell out the life of St. Augustine. I presume most Catholics and most of our listeners would know a little bit about St. Augustine, but his timeline is pretty fascinating. He was born in the middle of the fourth century. And keep in mind then, this is about 40 years after the Edict of Milan, which relaxed the persecution of Christians and allowed Christianity and other religions to be legal in the Roman Empire. And he was a brilliant intellect. And he was coming into prominence in his 20s, especially his late 20s. He actually had a prominent job moving into Milan. And it was in Milan that he came into contact with the archbishop there, St. Ambrose. And through the intervention of St. Ambrose and his mother, St. Monica, clarification, the mother of St. Augustine, not the mother of Ambrose. Who is the mother of St. Ambrose? I have no idea, actually. She may be a saint, actually. We'll have to look into that. You keep going. I'll look it up. Okay. But anyway, so through the influence of the mother of St. Augustine, St. Monica, and St. Ambrose, Augustine was brought to the faith. He was baptized. And then a few years later, he became a priest. And eventually, he became the Bishop of Hippo and is known for his 
work of promoting the Christian faith and defending the Christian faith. And so it's amazing how he was able to use his God-given talents, which he thought was going to be for secular reasons, to the glory and praise of God and the Holy Mother Church. So what's the answer on Ambrose? We don't have a name, it looks like. She was a woman of intellect and piety, we're reading. According to Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. So there could be information about that. Both his siblings appear to be saints, Marcelina and Satyrus. Really? That sounds right. I know a number of these early doctors, we actually know a surprising amount about their families. If you enjoy That's the Word, please share the word. You can see the story extras for this story, Forbidden Fruit, at thunderrock.org, where you can see the confessions of Augustine. Thunderrock.org is also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and where you can find our social links and our email if you have any feedback or story ideas. Gratias agamus vobis audire, et advenite proxima feria quarta, adiam fabulam salutarem pro familia tota audire. In other words, thanks for listening and join us next Wednesday for another wholesome tale for the whole family.